2: Our topic today is, my husband died and now I must find a job. We're talking about this in early March 2014. This is a difficult time in the job market and it's been like this for several years. There are changes in job opportunities such as switching to digital of so much work, Declines and changes in manufacturing, changes in government where job opportunities aren't what they used to be, and more and more work seems to be temporary, contract or part-time. And on top of everything, here in North America, we've had a very harsh winter, which has caused all kinds of problems. Finding jobs is particularly difficult for people who've been out of the workforce for a while or who've never really been in the workforce. Finding a job may involve looking for one in an organization that does the work that you did before, looking for one that may involve changing careers, or it, looking for something like setting up your own business. And then there's the reasons for looking for a job, which may be to head off boredom, may be financial, or maybe to combat loneliness. But whatever the reason, finding a job is a challenge for a spouse whose partner has died, which is why our topic, My Husband Died and Now I Must Find a Job, is so important. Discussing it is my guest, Mary Ellen Chater. Now, after graduating from the University of Toronto with an Honours BA in Arts Administration, Mary Ellen joined a company where she assisted pop and rock songwriters with their loyalties, She then became administrative assistant for the Society of Composers, Authors and Music Publishers of Canada, where she was responsible for researching music performed in broadcast media in preparation for hearings before the Copyright Board. And it was at this time that she met her husband, then president of the Canadian Independent Record Producers Association. In 1998, she joined Insight Information, a company, as conference developer for conferences in healthcare, among several other sectors. In 2001, she was appointed leader of a team of six developers, a position she held until 2003, when her husband was diagnosed with cancer. She continued to work as the conference developer, but from home as a contractor, so she could also be her husband's family caregiver until his death. So welcome to the show, Mary Ellen.
3: Oh, thank you, Gordon. Glad to be here.
2: Now, first question for you. Please tell us some more about your life and career up to the point at which you left your last job.
3: Well, okay, I was born and raised in Peterborough, Ontario, and uh, was interested in music from a fairly young age. I married for the first time at the age of 18, which by then, of course, I knew everything, and then went off to study music at the University of Western Ontario. And What followed was kind of a period of being unsettled where my then-husband and I moved back to Peterborough for summer jobs. Uh, he liked his so much, which was building log houses, and was asked to stay on, so he didn't want to go back to London, and I was faced with the choice of either go back or stay with him, and so I decided to stay with him. and. One thing led to another, and before you knew it, we were starting a family, uh, so he found another job working with his cousin, and then we moved to Scarborough, and I stayed home for a couple of years, raising two boys, and uh, decided to go, being determined to get a degree, I decided to go back to the University of Toronto, which was the local university there where I was living at the time, and was able to pick up on the music theme. Um, But one of my sons had leukemia, uh, the oldest one, and uh, after five years of treatment, he passed away, unfortunately, and then my marriage broke up. So um, graduating from that program in arts administration, I was able to get a job at the Performing Rights Society, CAPAC, and now as a single parent was uh, working there and moving from one position to the next, and as Gord mentioned, it was during the second position uh, that I met Brian. And so we started dating and started going out together and got married in one thousand nine hundred and ninety four and We were living very well you know we really enjoy we were happily married and uh, until uh, he developed cancer in early two thousand and three. Uh, his case was very, very serious, uh, partly because he really resisted um, seeking medical attention <laughs> to start with. So things had progressed fairly far along before he actually uh, admitted there was a problem. Um, so his, he was uh, in serious shape, and as a result, um, his recovery was going to be long and rather arduous. So at that point, I asked if I could work from home. And by that point, I was working as a conference developer and uh, was granted that permission. And so um, that's when I started working as an independent contractor. Anyway, as things went, Uh, he did recover enough to uh, pursue his continue with his career uh, and then eventually retired from his position and became a, a contractor himself. So there was a period of time here where we were both working from home, and then he he started, uh, something happened 2011, his health, he started getting pneumonia, his health just began to deteriorate from one episode to another, and by middle 2011, I started to realize that with and he was not driving by then, and I was ferrying him back and forth to various doctor's appointments and and whatnot. Plus a six months or six no, sorry, six week stretch in the hospital during that summer, uh, and then he broke his hip in the fall, so that sent him back again. Um, you know, I just I couldn't keep things up with that one conference company, and then I took on one more contract at the beginning, of the first six months of 2012. Uh, by which time, you know, he was late 2011, he was starting to, to recover again. And so I took this contract on. But by mid 2012, um, the lab appointments between that and, you know, different trips to the doctor, it just, it, you know, I realized that it, it just wasn't going to work. Right. I couldn't, no. I, I couldn't keep it up. And I just didn't look for any more contracts after that.
2: Right. Now, that's, leads me to my next question you've already said in effect that you left the workforce just now mm-hmm. um, so why have you now decided to look for another job and what about the results of your job hunting Mariella?
3: well I'm looking for a, a job right now partly well why why am I looking for one now well part because a first of all I'm too young to retire um, you know, there was almost a 17-year age difference between he and I, and I do still want to further my career, um, you know. And, of course, there are some financial considerations as well. I don't feel that I have, you know, saved enough for retirement, so there's that aspect as well. And if I can still work, then why not uh, get out there and see what I can do? Um, you know, and I think an employment situation at this point in my current situation would provide a greater amount of, you know, financial stability.
2: Right. As far as results,
3: well, (laughs) I have to say no concrete results so far.
2: Right, but we're going to talk about that kind of thing in a moment. Now I just want to go back to your family caregiving for your husband. mm -hmm. How, if if you think it did, how did it affect or could have affected your job hunting? Mary Ellen?
3: Well, you know, when I um, the, the last year of Last, well, I guess I should say 2012 was pretty... Well, 2013, rather, was mostly spent with Brian in the hospital. But, however, I had applied for a position in a very similar role to what I had been doing with the conference company, only actually this is with one of their competitors. Um, <clears throat> I had sent that resume in and applied for a job uh, before Brian became ill. And lo and behold, in April, they phoned me. They, I had an interview, and uh, apparently they, they were actually ready to, um, you know, make me an offer. But then I thought, you know, I can't really accept it at that point because I really couldn't see any point in just getting started with something and then have to ask for a whole lot of time off. Uh, so I just said... Maybe we better just keep it on the back burner for now. They told me to keep in touch, so, you know, that was fine for for that. Um, But, you know, in terms of looking for another job, while Brian was in the hospital, he was in the hospital from February the 5th until he came home September the 3rd. Uh, He was in and out of ICU um, a total of three different times. It it was just so much of an emotional roller coaster that I don't really think I could have properly concentrated on... Uh, any kind of duties in a kind of a structured workplace.
2: You mentioned the point that you feared having to ask for a lot of time off for family mm-hmm. caregiving um, when um, you were in a new job. Mm-hmm. How much a factor was that? How important was that factor to you?
3: It was pretty important because when you're just starting a new position, you have to be reliable. Um, and I know that in this position that, you know, with this competing um, organization, I knew what the job was. I'd done it for over 10 years, and it was, uh, you know, putting together a conference is an actually quite an intense um, uh, experience. You really don't have uh, hardly a spare hour during the, the time that you're, in, you're asked to put it together. Um, there are deadlines, uh, and I knew that I just, you know, couldn't take off the amount of time I knew I would have to and perform that role. So, actually, yes, it was pretty important.
2: Right. Now, what you've summarized for us is that complicated interaction between having the situation you were in when you'd given up a job, then wondering (laughs) about getting one back, and then the development of the illness in your husband and the fear that that developed in you, and I'm using the word fear, that you might become an unreliable employee or something of that nature in your mm-hmm. new work. And uh, I, I will simply say to you that, that those are very powerful factors, which mm-hmm. I, I'm sure haven't done any statistics, but I'm sure are pretty common in the kind of situation you're in. Oh. Now we've, we've reached the point at which where we have to talk about our a financial situation. That is to say, we have to pay the rent. So mm-hmm. we do that by taking a short break. So we'll do that now. Mm-hmm. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Mary Ellen Chater. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back.
1: Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus Drug Discount Card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but nine out of ten pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at VoiceAmerica.RXSavingsPlus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. Want to know what's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America Talk Radio network host? How about what's new with our network? You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. and Mary Ellen Chater. Our topic is, my husband died and now I must find a job. Now, Mary Ellen, let's talk about the challenges you've experienced in job hunting. Um, So, first question then is, what were the challenges you confronted or could have confronted in trying to return to your last job, or in getting a similar job with another organization in the same field?
3: Mary Ellen? Okay, well, first of all, I have to tell you that I'm not particularly interested in, actually, how about not at all interested in returning to my last job, uh, that, because that being because the management has changed at that company, um, and i I honestly don't think that uh, I would be best suited to work with the individual currently in charge that said um, the similar the, the similar organization actually was the competing company and as I believe I mentioned, they did say that uh, they suggested that I keep in touch. Well, I did, actually twice. Um, I called them back again in July when it looked like, you know, things looked better for Brian. He had actually made it to, uh, to rehab, the rehab wing of the hospital. And we thought, okay, fine, maybe we can get a game plan together. And, you know, things looked a little bit better for him. So I called them. And, they, again, they seemed to be interested. Uh, but I guess they didn't have a position open at that point. Uh, so, again, keep in touch. Well, I contacted them again in January and have no received no response whatsoever. And, you know, I'm just left to speculate why not. Um, perhaps, I mean, maybe it was because of the gap in my work history. Uh, to be honest, I don't know. Um I have applied for a few positions um, with doing similar things with different organizations, uh, but again, I seem to there 's a little bit of a challenge there because uh, my conference development experience focused on the product development end of things and not so much the logistics so i wasn 't doing the negotiations with the venue i wasn 't looking for the lighting systems or the audio vi- you know the audio systems etc so and you know, i have experience but not as much as somebody else who have who has those skills specifically so you're at a little bit of a disadvantage there and um you know i think in this kind of a job market uh, i have been told that really it's you really have to have those skills that pretty much match what they're looking for um so it's it's a little bit of it's a little discouraging Uh, But, um, nevertheless, I think, you know, it's one of the goals I've set for myself is just to to get out there and and master this art of looking for a job. I'm going to get one, and I guess I'll just have to, to continue doing what I'm doing.
2: Now, let me ask you about challenges you actually did confront or you could have confronted in getting a job in another field. But just let me clarify, have you now decided really to move to another field in which your job hunting compared with the one the field that you were in in your last job has has that actually that decision actually been taken by you
3: i wouldn't say so i guess what i'm trying to do at the moment is uh use my background uh, or utilize my background in the best way possible, trying to combine what I was doing as a conference developer uh, with my, I guess, what you might call creative arts background. So if I were, you know, I want to try to keep my focus in that sector if I can. Okay, so that's right. going to be my first choice is to perhaps produce events for the creative sector or utilize those skills. Um, But that said, I did, you know, go to uh, a seminar today, actually, with a group of people who have very similar concerns as myself, even though, obviously, they may not have, you know, they may not be bereaved, they may not have lost a loved one, but nevertheless, you know, may have gaps in their their work history. And uh, I guess it's not that uncommon to have that problem, so there's... um, you know, I guess it's a case of just pulling out all those transferable skills and just matching them even to the point of using the same wording that, the re- that are used in the requirements for the position.
2: Right. It's, it's becoming
3: quite the science, and I'm, I'm an avid student. <laughs> you
2: know? Yes, right. Now, so what it comes to is then uh, you are open to, And are looking for opportunities in fields other than the ones you worked in before, but at the same time, you're looking for commonalities. You're looking for things that what you did before could Mm -hmm. be, if you like, transferred or transformed into the tasks of the new job. Is that right?
3: Have I got that right? I would say so. Yeah. But it can't be too far afield that it just looks ridiculous to even try to apply.
2: Perfectly fair. Yeah, perfectly fair. Now, I'm going to ask you. Um, to talk about something um, that you may really not have considered, but that is, did you ever consider starting your own business? Mm-hmm. And in your decision about doing this, what were the challenges you foresaw? And what actually was your decision about your own business? Mary Ellen?
3: Oh, yes, I did definitely consider starting a new position. And in fact, it was after I um, stopped working, uh, as in not looking for any further contracts. So the you know after the last contract ran out in June thirty June thirtieth of twenty twelve, I actually thought you know maybe now would be just a you know six month period of time where I could actually explore the idea of uh, this business idea that I had had for quite some time by then, and I actually did. I spent a few a min- uh, few months uh, researching the whole area. The idea was to set up a fitness center for older adults. And I got to the point of actually preparing a 70-page business plan. I mean, I was quite serious about this. Uh, and, you know, business ownership is something that I had wanted to do for a while. And, you know, because I liked the flexibility, and I thought that it might be something I could do that would help Brian as well. You see, I had visions of, of getting him into better shape, you know. Um, and, you know, his, he's actually he was actually a very smart guy, so I thought his business acumen, too, would be quite a bonus to have. But there were challenges uh, when I realized the time commitment would be that's involved, of course, in setting up any new venture, especially something with as many different components as a fitness center. Uh, An even bigger challenge when I realized I got to the end of the business plan and figured out how much money I would need and how much I would be risking, um, you know, and the total amount of financing and time required even to just get to a break-even point which I figured was about a year and a half out and about $400,000. So we're not talking small change here. You know, and at the same time, too, I seemed, everywhere I looked, it seemed there was competition springing up. There seemed to be a new fitness center on every block. Um, You know, and then I also took a real hard look at the whole thing and and realized, you know, with Brian's health the way it was, um, maybe I had a, you know, kind of rose-colored glasses when I thought I could actually do this, you know, because I thought, well, given the fragility of his health at the time, anything I actually got going may be derailed. And um, actually, I'm glad that I didn't get very far with it to the point of, say, for example, signing on, you know, a year's lease, for instance, at, um, you know, some sort of, some location and being on the hook for that kind of money. Um, So I'm just glad I didn't get ahead with it, but I, in some ways, it was a very useful thing to do. You know, it's certainly, I certainly learned a lot. Let me put
2: this to you. Let me put this particular point to you. When you're thinking of sort of going after a job in a field that's somewhat different from the one you've done before, but where you can see connections, or where you're considering setting up your own business, you're kind of repackaging yourself. Mm -hmm. Now, on the one hand, you're merging your skills um, for a new uh, field, but on the other hand, fitness training. Um, or whatever, whatever you know, a fitness center, was radically different, as I understand it, from anything that you've done before. How do you explain that?
3: <laughs> oh, good question. Well, you know, it was, it was different, but at the same time, um, not that different, because I looked at it from my own, myself as the customer, You know, I had been the customer, I had been to fitness centers, I had joined gyms, and I knew that there didn't seem to be any that were really embracing me as a customer. So, you know, even though I didn't necessarily have the management, the fitness center management experience, I thought, well, perhaps what I could do is at least surround myself with people who do have that experience and that, you know, with the right partner, then perhaps, you know, we could make this work. And, uh, you know, maybe it was a stretch, Gord, yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying, but I don't think it was entirely impossible, and I still don't.
2: Perfectly fair. Now, let me use that word repackaging again. And what I mean by that, obviously, is here's somebody with skills and experience um, who is looking for something in which a job in which those skills and those and that experience can be used in a way that creates a successful job that pleases the employer and that leads to further development. Now, first of all, is the word repackaging right to describe that process?
3: Um, I would say... Yeah, to a fair extent, yes, repackaging. Um, But I guess what you're doing is you're taking different elements out of your own total package and pulling out whatever elements are you want to highlight for whatever the position is that you're applying for. Um, So even though you may be trying to, you know, position yourself to apply for a particular position that is a little bit, you know, is different than what you had done before. Um, as I, you know, mentioned, you, it can't be, it shouldn't maybe that be that far. Right. It, uh, but nevertheless, um, if you, t- so what you want to do is highlight those things that, that do apply, those transferable skills. Right. That do apply, and you know, if you have a gap in your work history, this is what I'm told from today's uh, seminar: is you know there is a functional style of resume apparently that uh, you know that covers that off rather nicely. It doesn't necessarily; it's not a chrono- chronological resume.
2: Right. So what that comes to is picking out the things, making choices about the things that you want to give a high profile to. Um, And in that sense, it's still packaging, but you also may have to change the things you emphasize uh, within the package, within yourself and what you're offering Mm -hmm. so that you've adapted to what's out there, or the possibilities that you've identified for yourself. Um, We're coming to the end of this particular segment, but just very quickly, have I got that summary reasonably right in the way that I've just put it back to you? say so. yeah. Okay. I would say
3: so. It really is a matter of, uh, you know, just tailoring. And, and this is, I guess, is what I've, I've learned over the last month or so. The You know, six weeks, I guess, is where I've really been kind of six or seven weeks um, where I've really been intensely doing this is, yeah, you, you have to tailor what you're present, what what you're offering to each individual situation. Right, and right. I've also discovered too that apparently um, cover letters uh, are almost useless. And if you do, you are required to include one. Um, use it. Use the email as the cover letter.
2: <laughs> yeah, very good <laughs> That's a nice tip now we've come to the end of this particular segment so we'll take the short break this is Dr. Gordon Anthony my guest is Mary Ellen Chater you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio please stay with us we will be back
0: Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to DocG at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite. i Mary Ellen Chater. Our topic is, My husband died and now I must find a job. So, Mary Ellen, let's discuss your, your advice to people in your situation for overcoming the types of challenges you've experienced in job hunting. First question then is, What's your advice to people in your situation about confronting the challenges you confronted in trying to return to your last job or to get a similar job with other organizations in the same field? What's your advice? Mary Ellen?
3: Well, I would, first of all, um, realize, well, you know, I guess my biggest fear was my... um, the gap in my work history. I, I have to say that that is my biggest concern. But uh, I have since discovered that, hey, you know what? It's not just me. There are a whole lot of other people out there with that gap, and it's not the, you know, it doesn't have to be as deadly to your careers as it's, you know, you'd necessarily think it is. Um, you can, you know, one way of overcoming it, I guess, in, in presenting yourself is using that functional style of resume, Um or you know, just get out there, and uh, I'm told networking, and I'm sure people have heard that over and over again too, but it seems to be you know what will really help you out, and even if just getting out there um, you know being around other people, and especially in my case um you know i i don't want i don't like being alone I mean I am alone now, and so for me it's it's even more important to get out there and be around people um so, and just to keep up your spirits, realize to some to some degree it's a numbers game, and uh, you know, interviewing is is like dating. Um, you know, it's, you're, people are just looking for the right fit. Uh You know, and there are people out there. Apparently, I'm I'm yet to discover this, so maybe we should do a sequel sometime. But there are organizations who are looking for mature workers. Um, you know, so and I guess you know, just join a professional group too. Um, you know, prepare to have an open mind to learning, and prepare, be prepared to augment your current knowledge, and don't be afraid to ask people for advice uh, in terms of, um, you know, getting out there and and uh, um, getting yourself going again. Uh, the other one thing that uh, someone did suggest to me is that everyone should, uh, at some point, chronicle their working. Life. Everything that you did, everything, especially any of the, anything that you felt that you, you know, was an accomplishment, go right down to the beginning of your working history, so that you have those segments to pull out to customize your resumes as you go. So you're not trying to, you know, um, reinvent the wheel every time.
2: Right. Now, let me just ask you a practical question. You talking about going out, getting around, networking, making yourself known. What about advertisements in newspapers and kind of uh, job opportunities posted on, uh, you know, the various site notice boards you see from time to time or in government offices? What about that as a method for finding a finding a job in your own sector? Does that work?
3: Well, actually, um, government offices, no. I think, well... I mean, I guess to a certain point, but you know, most of those are now posted online. And actually, I think your biggest tool for any job search, you know, one of the biggest things is be is LinkedIn. It's it's huge, and it is quite uh, quite useful, quite frankly. Um, you know, and any there's a lot of good job sites out there that you can just use a keyword. Uh, and that's what I'm finding is so different from when I last seriously had to look for a job, which was 1998. Compare that to now, where everything is digital. Uh, you know, and that's one of my challenges actually is is um, mastering the whole um, digitization of. The work search process—the you know from your resume, from what you can put on there, matching the keywords—everything uh, has changed considerably. So I think it's it's you know get out there and and learn how to navigate that. I guess I'm right in the middle of of trying to figure that out. But I have been on LinkedIn for some time now, and um, also you know if you're going to government sites, you can ask um, you can sign on to their career uh, section, and quite often organizations will will feed you job opportunities as they come up.
2: Right. Now, I'm going to ask you about the particular situation of the advice uh, that you would give um, where somebody is looking for and trying to get a job in another field, a a very different field from the one in which they've got job experience. What's your advice there?
3: Uh, Well... Again, it depends, you know, it, it's very different. Well, there still has to be, you know, I guess it depends on how, to what extent you really want to reinvent yourself. Um, you know, and I suppose the situation I'm in where, you know, I, I have been a caregiver, I guess I'm coming out the other side, I guess I have that freedom. I would really sympathize with someone who has children, um, you know, or whatever, Um You know, having to get out there and do this, but uh, yeah, how if you want to change careers, then I think there there could be programs out there that may help you if you know you want to. Um, I think there's something here called Second Career where you can sign on and they will actually help you with training to get yourself going. I guess it really depends on how different uh, your your pursuit is to what you've already been doing whether you need to go back and get more training but you really need to to be able to compete effectively you have to be you have to have those skills so whatever right. way you want to get them if you can't transfer them from what you've already done then you have to go out and get them
2: right and going out and getting them might involve kind of going on formal educational programs of some kind training programs or something like that is that mm-hmm. right
3: I would say yep. so, definitely. And yeah, you really do have to be open to learning. I, I kid you not, lifelong learning is no, uh, it's not just a catchphrase anymore. You really have to get out there and be prepared to do that.
2: Right. Now, I'm still asking you for your advice um, to people in situations that you've either been in or considered. And now let's talk about the challenges you, you confronted or could have confronted in starting in a a business and i want to know from those challenges what would you distill as advice to people in your situation who are thinking about or intent upon starting their own business mary ellen
3: well, that would be in in my particular situation you know well i hate to say this but it, you know it really does depend on the situation um you know i still think i think maybe you know i do I, I am. I do consider myself to be somewhat entrepreneurial, so that idea is attractive to me, whereas it might not be for someone else, but for someone who is considering it, you know, it may be the right thing for someone in a caregiving role to do, or, you know, it may be something to be avoided. Um, it does need uh, a stable situation to get one going, so if you're in a volatile, unpredictable situation, then it probably would be best avoided uh, in that circumstance. But it does provide an occupation. It gives you something to do so you can keep up a daily routine if you are in this caregiving role, uh, which is, to me, was... Certainly, over the last year, very important, um, and it's not as rigid as the employer-employee situation. So it does provide flexibility to respond to any health issues your loved one may be undergoing at the time. There is that flexibility, which I love, frankly. I, I, you know, um, but the financial situations, you know, may be different. Um, you know, so on the whole, you know, it could be the right situation for someone, if especially if it doesn't involve risking a lot of money. Uh, Because, of course, money is important if you're in a caregiving situation. You don't know, um, you know, what kind of financial hurdles you may come across just dealing with those health issues alone, never mind starting a business. So it probably, it really does depend on the situation and the individual. But, yeah, it certainly has its its benefits.
2: Now, there's a difference... Um, between self-employment sometimes and actually owning your own business. For example, you can be self-employed and receive commission for things you do, like selling um, particular, uh, how can I put it this way, selling services or selling property or selling goods. And Mm -hmm. if you make the sale, you get the percentage, but you're not actually employed by the people uh, providing or selling the goods directly. So, what's your advice to people who are in that kind of thinking about that kind of thing and did you yourself ever consider going into one of these commission-type occupations?
3: Mary Ellen? Where where your your income is derived solely from commissions and you have no base salary? That's right. Um, I don't think I'd want to do that. That would not be very attractive to me. Right. First of all, because I know myself well enough to realize that I'm not the best salesperson on the planet, uh, so I think my revenue could be very sparse, indeed, if it were just derived from a commission source. Um, you know, But someone else, and again, depending on the commission, depending on what you're selling, depending you know, on the, on the percentage, um, someone who has the natural sales ability, uh, that could be very good for them and provide all the flexibility they need
2: right now just to go back to the financial situation where you're actually owning your own business you mentioned when you were talking about this before the the risk of going signing some kind of lease or agreement that Mm -hmm. would leave you committed to paying money out even though your business might not have taken off or might even have shut down Mm -hmm. Uh, are there any other of those challenges that you encountered that you would want to warn people about
3: um Well, the challenge is, you know, apart from, I guess it's just, you know, it's not just, that would be the least one, the one thing. And I, I guess the biggest challenge, the biggest, you know, thing that really could hurt you is the financial aspect of it. Um, Because if the situation you're dealing with is a little bit tenuous as in, because, you know, in my case, my husband's health was so fragile, um, I would have thought that, you know, say if I did go ahead and I found the partner that I needed um, to backstop my knowledge, and then Brian became very ill, and in fact, you know, what happened, you know, happened, that partner could have been very, I would say that relationship would probably have been very strained. Right. Right. So I would say, you know, you really need to really truthfully and honestly assess your own situation before uh, committing to something like that.
2: Right. And just to summarize back to, you, your own situation determines a whole lot about the opportunity that looks good um, for starting your own business or entering into uh, uh, commission-only employment uh, Mm -hmm. or commission-only work. Um, So, therefore, this all comes back to, among other things, family caregiving, your responsibilities. It also comes back to the question of basically how well you can manage, and I don't mean this in any negative way, you can manage your life where there can be surprises of a financial kind or a business kind or something else. And so I guess it comes back to the point that you made, whether you feel that this is a career that you're basically committed to uh, have the ability to do and are keen to To do, and if you're not so, and I hope I'm summarizing you right. If you're not confident on those things, I think I'm getting from you the idea that you should be very cautious. Now, just very yeah, yeah.
3: But Gore, don't forget, my situation is different than you know. Not all caregivers are alike either. Mine was, you know, it was pretty volatile this past year because Brian had so many ups and downs. Um, His situation was very different than someone who has, say, a chronic illness who is at home, and say, it's maybe your 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 parent and, you know, they're they're not at the point where you'd want to see them in a hospital. They don't want to leave home, and maybe you're helping them out. You might even live with them, um, but you can't be there with them all the time. So maybe you get some uh, outside nursing agencies to come in, you know, and, and so you may have more time, and that situation may be a bit more stable.
2: Right. Okay. Now, th- it
3: really does well, depend, as I say, on, on your own individual situation and, you know, how likely it is to remain if someone is chronically ill for an extended period of time, but their situation, their, their health is stable.
2: Right. Good. Very clear. Thanks for that. Now, once again, it's time to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Mary Ellen Chater. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back.
4: Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now.
1: You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg.com at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite.
2: Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Mary Ellen Chater. Our topic is, My husband died and now I must find a job. Mary Ellen, now let's talk about things that would help people in your situation find work they need. Um, First question is, what are the things that really would be helpful to people in your situation? What are What's your list of those things? Mary Ellen?
3: Um, well, um, actually, I would think, uh, you know, I mean, so, uh, perhaps a, a seminar or some sort of group where you can meet people who have experienced something very similar. Um you know, and kind of trade tips on, on how you're coping with, uh, you, you know, I mean, there's, there's funny things that can happen when, when you get people together who say, for example, uh, the situation that I mentioned to you earlier, you know, where you might be living with your parent and maybe you're getting some home care in. It's funny how sometimes you can meet someone who's getting these many hours of home care or uh, compared to what you're getting. So there may be some things that actually you can you can trade and find out that, oh, well, maybe I could actually free myself up for some, ex, you know, other hours that I don't have right now by simply accessing this, this um, you know, health agency that I didn't think I qualified for. Right. Um, so there's those kinds of things, those kinds of, you know, seminars, I think, um, and just uh, uh, even these days, everything being online. Um, probably if I, were, if I knew the existence, which I don't right now, but if there was, maybe probably everything's online. I just haven't found it yet. So, yeah, I would say groups of like-minded individuals facing similar challenges.
2: Now, that <clears throat> that's very similar to what family caregivers say who are facing other kinds of challenges, not connected with work so much, but connected with other things. They find it very helpful and very valuable, first of all, to realize that they're not alone, there are other people in this situation, and that they find it useful to hear the, about the experiences of others and swap ideas about how challenges are in fact uh, responded to by people who have either overcome them or learned enough about them how to work around them. So. What do you think now about the idea of people who are in your type of situation very broadly getting together in groups so that they support each other? Is that something that you think is helpful?
3: Oh, yes, I would definitely say so. Um, because I think you would get such a broad uh, group of people that there's a lot of things that you could learn um, just you know, from the variety of people that you would have access to and the different situations. So, yeah, I think, you know, as a coping mechanism and as a way, especially if it's long-term uh, illness that you're dealing with, um, yeah, I would say that would be very valuable.
2: Here's a loaded question. Would you go so far as to actually get one going or set one up or get involved with someone who wants to set one up? Would you go that far?
3: Um, yeah, you know, I wouldn't want to be out there doing it by myself. Um, but yeah, I, I would certainly be willing to to talk to anybody who wants to get one going. Um, you know, if I maybe there is one, but I, I I haven't found it yet. I mean, and I guess that would be would have been helpful too. I guess is is to have some sort of during the whole process of uh, caregiving to have some sort of indication of you know what is there out there for people, right. and I don't think there's a whole lot, because I never came across it.
2: Right. Now then, different question, same theme. Tell us about the things you would like to see done by employers and social systems um, to help people like you find the work they need. What should employers and social systems do more? Mary Ellen? Um
3: Well, I had a few thoughts about that, and, and one would be treat caregiving like maternity leave. You know you have significant life events that that people go through, and there 's no point ignoring that they exist; they do exist you know and it just seems to be in recent years that uh, having children has been actually recognized as something that actually happens to people you know on the on the employer 's end uh, so I think yeah, you know treating it like maternity leave i mean maybe not you know depending on what the financial sort of situation is um. But, yeah, I, I really think it should. It deserves greater recognition. And certainly if, you know, a person in my situation who's lost their husband also has young children, which, you know, I don't, but that would be a huge challenge to try to get out and, you know, find uh, child care and get out and try to get a job in that situation. Um, you know, and while... We had a great social worker in the hospital. Um, they they have gone a long way, and in this case, we we did have a, a social worker who was assigned to basic to Brian. Really, um, that their responsibility was toward Brian. But you know, I think that person's role could be expanded to include the needs of the family as well, because right now it seems the family was ignored. You know, in that everything centered around the patient, which is great. Patient-centered care. That's I get that. Um, but at the same time it's sort of you know they're they're operating in a vacuum there's there's more to it than just the than I shouldn't say just the patient but you know the the patient also exists in in you know their own situation and it does seem to be kind of how do you say, well, not ignored, but just not recognized. And for myself, in my situation, being self-employed, it would have been helpful if I could have participated in what we have here, the employment insurance program, you know, paying my payments in the same as anyone else does who is employed, so that, you know, if I needed to access it as a kind of a financial bridge, which it's there for, um, you know, while I'm getting myself up and going and trying to get my career going again, that would have been helpful too.
2: Right. Now, what that's leading us towards is something else that comes out very frequently in this, in this show, is that question of respect for family caregivers, that um, the recognition that... Family caregivers actually play an important part in caring for people who are seen as patients in a hospital. Isn't yet good enough, and the Mm -hmm. idea that it's worth keeping a family together, helping them to keep together in whatever way, by um, through financial means or through helping them get jobs that they can fit to their family caregiver requirements and responsibilities all those kinds of things and again this is a second question to you I think you're saying you've just said correct me if I'm wrong that actually thinking about the family caregivers needs in regard to employment opportunities keeping jobs getting jobs having jobs changed so that they fit the circumstances is important part of Mm -hmm. healthcare is that right
3: Yes, I definitely think so. I think there, there needs to be flexibility, um, I think, in, in regardless with, what kind of relationship or how you approach work, whether it's as an employee or, you know, I think that's why a lot of people do like to be self-employed because you do have that freedom, that flexibility to manage your own time. And I, I think that needs to be, um, I think, more, you know, adopted to a greater extent into the employer-employee situation
2: right. What would you say the benefits to the employer would be of doing what you've just said?
3: Mary Ellen? Well, I think they would, uh, you know, benefit from, you know, keeping the talent that they have, not making it such a rigid choice of, you know, um, either quitting your job or, you know, keeping the job but then, you know, being having to ask for time off. And then, of course, you you know, uh, every employer usually has limits to the amount of time off that you can have. So, okay, so maybe you've used up your five or ten sick days because you needed to, you know, transport somebody to various appointments. Um, and I we had lab tests for Warfarin that took up a solid two weeks of appointments every single day. So those sick days can go pretty quickly. Um, you know, and then you're eating into your vacation time. You know, and I I just think that maybe there could be some sort of a leave. If you have to take a leave of absence, then okay, take a leave of absence. But I do think that there should be a little greater effort at accommodation.
2: Right. That's very clear, and that's very important, and that's something that I think needs much more attention than it's getting. And what you've done, Mary Ellen, is to put all of this into the context of someone now you looking for a job because their life has changed as a result of the death but you've also put into the context the question of work protecting work while someone a member of the family is ill seriously ill and requiring attention and and care by family caregivers and so what I would like to say to you is please do keep up the um your job search, obviously, but also if you can lend a hand to people who are wanting to set up a group, create a group to support each other, um, I'd encourage you to do that. And if you do do it, I'd be very, very happy to interview you and others um, again on this show just to demonstrate what you've achieved and give some publicity to what I think is a very great idea from you. Now, at this point, I have to say uh, thank you for all that you've done on this episode, which has been great, great, sharing your experience and your insight and giving your advice. And I want to wish you every success in finding that job, that special job, which is for you. I want to say okay. thank you to our, to our oh,
3: listeners. Thank you, Gord, very much. I, I've enjoyed it
2: great and I want to say thank you to our listeners because we'd like to hear your comments on this episode and from our listeners I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show our next episode will be careers for young people living with blindness please join us same time same spot on the internet talk to you then
1: thank you again for joining us this week for family caregivers unite with your host dr gordon Atherley.